Okay, so I've titled our message today, When God Became Human. And I feel like this is a, a very, very important thing that I, we, we, we get it, we understand it, I think, generally. Um, it's something I've like, okay, I've known since I'm a kid, right? I know the Bible verses related to it. But there's just continual unfolding revelation to me, not new to God, maybe not new to any of you, but new to me. And I just somehow feel like that um, <clears throat> this is a very important thing to, for us to understand. Now, for those of you who here last week or watched online, you remember we talked about our image of God. And uh, we talked about different types of images of God. By the way, if you weren't here last week or haven't seen it yet online, um, I, I really think it's a very pertinent subject. You might want to avail yourself to. You can go back, catch it on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. Um, because it's, it's really important because we all carry mental images. Um, <clears throat> and we have thoughts and we have emotions related to how we perceive God to be, and it affects every aspect of our lives. Um, it affects how we view ourselves and how we perceive God views us. That's really, really a big deal because <clears throat> all of us in this room, I would be pretty certain, most people of a society, even around the world, have a legitimate, genuine concern as to how God sees them. But there are images that we have of God, who he is one, and how he sees us, and how he works with humanity that may have some distortions. And along with those distortions comes sometimes confusion, sometimes it creates a lot of inner turmoil um, because we have these conflicting views and distortions. But it's important because our image of God has everything to do with how we relate with one another in our families, how we relate with others in the workplace, how we relate with others in our world. It has everything to do with how we approach God in prayer or even what prayer is. And so this is really, really important. Um, it, it, it has so much to do with how we respond to circumstances of life, the joyous ones and the painful, difficult ones. How we see God has so much to do with how we function in life, okay? Um, if we see God in this kind of hierarchical sense, you know, God first, then family second, and we kind of go down this, and we have the, like this organizational chart type of an image in our mind of how God is, that's going to mess us up big time. It's not how God designed it. But that is, in fact, many people's image of God. It's like, okay, yeah, we acknowledge God, and we don't even understand all of who he is or about him, but I got to make sure I align things. It also affects how we understand Christ Jesus and his work and what he has accomplished for us. It also affects, our image of God affects how we look into the future related to judgment um, and how we view ourselves and all of humanity into eternity. So, 
this is like really, really important. So just for quick review, do we have that little diagram thing, little triangle thing there? Oh, we do it. Thank you, guys. So here we have God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, okay? So we're not talking about three persons who move and operate independent of one another. They move in a divine, holy synchronization that is of love. So you don't have God, then Jesus, then Holy Spirit, like in an organizational flowchart. Uh-uh. It's, it's more, uh, they're together, they are one, and they mutually submit one to the other. They yield one to the other. And this is what we learn and see in Scripture. Now, if we could get that in our earthly relationships, it would make a huge difference. Because I know, I, I know as a matter of function, when you get in the workplace, you get in certain places, there, there, there is like, okay, who's the point person? And so we create flow charts of different sorts in different ways, okay? <clears throat> but that doesn't work out when it comes to our relating with God and when it comes to, to relating with one another in a spiritual sense. Now, here's the cool thing. So you have Father, Son, and you have Holy Spirit. Before, everybody say before, okay? This is before the creation of the world. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit set their love upon us. And you're going, how could that be? We didn't yet exist. Well, you understand, we're thinking with, in, in context of finite minds, right? And so we kind of think on a, like a timeline, okay? Time begins here, creation begins here, then this happened, we have... The, the days of creation, then man was created, and then this happened, and 2,000 years later, then Christ comes, or 4,000, 5,000 years later, Christ comes, etc. And so when you're dealing with the eternal Godhead, remember that he works within time. He actually created time, but he transcends time. So this is, like, really important. But... <clears throat> Before, actually, creation of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are absolute love, and therefore who are absolutely relational, had already had us in mind and had planned for all of humanity to be included in the love and the life that flows between the three of them. We were in mind before creation. He already had us in mind. Matter of fact, just a thought, I think he created earth. So he creates earth in the context of this vast universe that is still expanding, and he creates earth as a place for us to inhabit. Now, I mean, we've got, we've got a lot of scripture related to this. Well, let me just give you one, though. And this one isn't on the screen, so just keep that little diagram up there. This is Ephesians 1. Just listen carefully. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. That is, in Christ, he chose us before the world was made 
He chose us before the world was made. Isn't that marvelous? He chose us before the world was made so that we would be holy people without blame before us. Because of his love that has always eternally existed, listen to this, God had already, before the foundation of the world, before the creation, he had already decided to make us his own children through Christ. That was what he wanted and what pleased him. And it brings praise to God because of his wonderful grace. God gave that grace to us freely in Christ, the one he loves. So he reveals his love. He releases his grace in and through Christ. But before creation, we were already in the heart of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't you feel the love? All of the billions and billions and billions and billions of people that have already lived and died, the eight billion on the earth today and the billions and billions and billions yet to be born, before the creation of the universe, we were already included in the thoughts, the heart, the love, and the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't you just love the scriptures, just lay things out? Now, it's only been in recent years that, I, that I've kind of like awakened, having read this scripture, I mean, I, I, dozens and dozens and dozens of times over the years. And I'm like, finally, like, awakening to just a simple reality of what the scriptures reveal. Well, I'm excited that you are so delighted today in this. <laughs> in eternity before creation, now think about it. It was decided that Christ Jesus, the Son, would span every perceived chasm. Notice I said perceived chasm between God and humanity. You understand, Jesus was not plan B. Oh, boy, Adam blew it. What do we do? Father says to the Son, Holy Spirit says, I have an idea. We can get you, Christ, the son, to go to earth and kind of clean up this mess. No plan B whatsoever. Adam and Eve were not born perfected, by the way. That's why they needed to eat of the tree of life, which is prophetically symbolic of Christ. Instead of partaking of life, they, partook, uh, they, 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 they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then they now were uh, enveloped in shame and they run and hide from God. And so Christ was predestined to be the mediator, the one in, in whom the very life of the triune God would enter human existence and all of humanity would then be lifted up to share in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How did that happen? We had reference to it, Judy, here just a few minutes ago. The work of Christ 
in his mission in coming to earth as a human, his ministry through his time on earth at the cross and the resurrection. That's why Paul says, in Christ all died and all were raised to life. That is a reality that probably most, if not everyone in this room has already discovered, right? And thus you've experienced the salvation of the Lord, the redemption of the Lord. It's that many, many, many people of the earth yet have not yet encountered, have not yet had the eyes of their heart open and have not yet experienced the salvation of the Lord. That's why we pray. One reason why we pray. We pray for the opening of the eyes. That's why the gospel needs to be preached. And by the way, and when the gospel is truly preached, they don't preach sin. You preach Christ. We just look at the biblical examples of that, okay? Now, I recognize that some modern evangelism is about preaching to everybody how sinful they are. I prefer to stick with the scriptures. Look at Peter on the day of Pentecost. Look at Paul in Acts chapter 17. What is he preaching? He's simply preaching Christ Jesus, him crucified and resurrected from the dead. That's what we're to preach and declare. And so... All of this was in the heart and the mind of God from the beginning, long before the creation of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, For there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live. But there is one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. And so as the Nicene Creed says... He was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and he was made man. When God became human, it's a big deal. When God became human, he revealed the heart of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit that has always existed even before creation. So this isn't just about, oh, cute little baby came. He endured hardship. And then he goes to the cross. Yahoo. Now I can get saved. Now I can go to heaven when I die. How many of you know all of that's true? But there's something magnificently beautiful when we see the bigger picture. And you recognize that personally, you were always in the heart and on the mind of God. As is every family member of yours. As is all the neighbors. Every citizen of this city, county, U.S., uh, uh, of every nation. It's an absolute beautiful thing. The apostles of the New Testament tell us that the fullness of God was in flesh in Christ Jesus, who was the perfect image of divine love. Now think about this. Christ is the perfect image, the exact representation. We say, well, who's God? Well, no one has ever seen God the Father and never will. He is spirit. 
But Christ, who came as God, became man, is the revelation of divine love and the revelation of who God is. Now think about it. It was Jesus who, at the death, um, or in his death, at the hands of angry sinners, um, <clears throat> in that process of, of the incarnation, his death and resurrection, there was the uniting of all of humanity with the Father. No longer is there to be alienation. Now, many, many, many people still today feel distant, feel alienated, feel separated from God, but that's not reality. The reality is he has already united all of humanity with God. It's just that we're blind to it until there's a spiritual awakening. That's why we pray. For ourselves, God, open the eyes of my heart that I might more clearly see you. God, open the eyes of family members who don't even believe in your reality. I pray that their eyes would be open. You say, well, can't God just do that all by himself? He is a relational God that invites our participation. And quite honestly, we get to have, the, the, I believe there is a reward. Well, there, there's some scriptural um, um, that the scriptures that speak towards that end, that it's a reward of divine participation with this relational God that we have. Sometimes the reward in the, you know, on earth is just that joy that we feel when we see God answering a prayer. But there's more than that. I think there are eternal rewards. And we have some indication of that in scripture when we participate. So why did God do that, okay? So he unites all people in his death and his resurrection. Many are blind to it, thus have not yet experienced salvation. But in our brokenness and in our shame as humanity, everyone is invited into the circle of fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone has already been included. Everyone has already been invited, okay? And it's the Holy Spirit that reveals Christ so that we can personally encounter him and experience our personal deliverance, our personal salvation, if you will. And so that we can come to know Father as he knows Father. Um, Hebrews 1, 3, Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. 1 John 14, 9, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, I want us to look for a few moments here. Let's remember how Jesus came to earth. Let, let's look how he came. Did he come as a superhero? Superman. You know, we Americans love superhero movies, right? I'm just speaking about Americans in general. Some of you do. Some of you like, eh. Okay. We pay billions of dollars a year to go see movies about a man and or a woman who is this supercharged human that has power, that can supersede all obstacles. Go back to a few years and Batman of 1995. Wow. 
X-Men of 2000. Some of you may have seen that movie. Of course, you got Maximus in Gladiator way back 20 years ago. You got the Iron Man in 2010. Spider-Man 2017. And the Batman. That's just real recent. I haven't seen it. But that movie has produced 770 million dollars. That's a three-quarter, I mean, that, I mean, we're headed towards a billion dollars in revenue just at the box offices. Superheroes, power, and somehow we Americans, as other people of the world, are enamored, we're enthralled, and we're entertained by the superheroes. We even want powerful people in political office who can turn the tide and set order in our country according to our personal ideology, of course, whatever that may be. And there's something within, in part, it's because of the brokenness of humankind that we look to human beings to be the supercharged superheroes of society, then we'll all feel more safe and secure. But there's also something within us that's actually very legitimate. And it's not necessarily because of our brokenness, brokenness, it's because of our being in Christ. And that is, there is a desire to see ultimately divine life that brings about a civilized world in where love prevails. And we all recognize we're not going to be able to pull it off by ourselves. At least it hasn't worked so far. And I would suggest it will not work. As long as the kingdoms of this world are in charge, it's not going to work. There will always be fighting and there will always bring be division in our world. Inevitable. Try our best, though, to all get along. We all have ideologies and we have worldviews and we have all kinds of philosophies and mindsets and perceptions and opinions and such. And until Christ comes back, it'll just continue to be somewhat of a mess. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put bad news on us today. <laughs> We always keep hoping it's going to be better. If we just get a certain person in office that's going to settle things. No, well, no, that doesn't settle. That doesn't make everybody all of a sudden live in peace. What about when God became human? He came in contrast to the superheroes that we're so enamored with. He comes to earth through an unknown teenage girl in a smelly cave in a tiny village, helpless newborn crying for his mama, pooping his pants in the first hours, then taken away in the night to escape being killed along with the other firstborn babies of the region. And then you begin to look at his life unfold and what did he come as? He came as a servant, he came as a healer, as a restorer, as a lover of all, as a deliverer. 
So since God is fully revealed in Christ, what we really see is Christ coming as a self-giving lover rather than an overpowering emperor. Ultimately, he's a conqueror. But the manner in which he comes and goes about fulfilling his mission is along the line of a self-giving lover of all of humanity. Then again, what would we expect? He's God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So before the foundations of the world has always had every human in mind, not preferring one human that was to be created over another human. Not giving more value to any one human upon the earth of the tens and tens and tens of billions that have already lived, lived today, and will live into the future. He has no preference of one over the other in terms of value. All are equally significant. All have unique, beautiful personality and some unique, beautiful giftings that, that he will work through in unique ways. But he's the ultimate lover. Can you imagine when Christ, when Christ comes again in all of the kingdoms of this world bow before him and that where eternal love and life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit prevail becomes the norm. Can you imagine a world like that? Yay, that's what we get to look forward to. Somebody tell your neighbor, come on, wake up. This is exciting stuff here. That's our future, guys. But meanwhile, we are also in, in, in mission because we're, we're placed here upon earth and we are still a part of the flow, relational flow of life designed by the Father, through Christ, by the Holy Spirit, to do what? To be Christ to our world. To awaken the world unto the glory of who he is. Uh, this is the Nicene Creed. I'm just going to read a little, the first uh, two little paragraphs of it. It was formed in 325 A.D. to where 1,500 um, bishops of the East and the West were brought together, the Latin-speaking world and the Greek-speaking world, and they were brought together. And for three months, from May through July, uh, I guess it was actually two months, two full months, they convened daily to, to discuss what are the essentials of Christianity, of the Christian faith. And that's how we got the Nicene Creed. It was later updated in 381 um, <clears throat> at Constantinople. But it goes like this. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten, excuse me, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, 
begotten and not made. What that means is Jesus was not just one of the created beings. Okay? This is actually a very important point. There's no need to spend more time on it today. But begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. Go to John chapter 14 and verse 9. When Apostle um, Philip asked him, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus himself declares, don't you know me, Philip? He said, even after I have been among you so, such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What I'm trying to highlight today is kind of an outflow of last week. Our image of God really, really matters. It's, it's, it's important. Jesus said in John, John 10, I and the Father are one. And so what we have, this reality that God the Father and Christ are of the same nature, the very same attributes. So sometimes we have these questions about what is God really like? Go to the scriptures, go to the, this relationship that you have with God in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit and what you experience through Christ, what we see revealed in Scripture regarding Christ, this is what God is like. We need to allow that to help form, to adjust our image of God. God is Christ-like. He's always been Christ-like. They are one of one nature. And Christ is the only perfect image, the only perfect representation. And what we must do is remember how Christ arrived to the earth let us remember how he lived let us remember how in fact he overcame sin and how he overcame evil and has conquered death and ultimately we will see um, the reality of it, the conquering of death and hell itself as the scriptures clearly say and so God wants us to live in this place of felt victory by the Holy Spirit. He wants us to experience this joy of, 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 of being overcomers. And Jesus shows us exactly how to do it. And this is where the challenge is at times in life. Because sometimes when you, we, we get as human beings trying to work together to get along on the earth, we are so tempted to use, as the scripture refers, to the arm of flesh to gain power one over the other so we can feel more powerful and go, yes, now things are in order. And sometimes in doing so, we fall into the very hands of the enemy of our soul and take the bait of Satan. And what it actually does before God, it disempowers us. For a personal, at a personal level, to become all that he's called us to be, and for the other person or people to become who they're called to be. We get into these wrangling things of power, okay? Now, I'm not talking about there's clearly certain roles and such when you, when, when you get into, say, a, a, a workplace and such. You know, there, there has to be distinct roles of who's responsible for this and that and the other. And you have, we, we all get that, Okay. But even so, the attitude of the heart matters in those situations. Because I've listened to many people over the years in the context of work go, I don't like working that place. Well, why is that? 
because the person in charge is on a big power trip. They just love to make us all grovel. So I said, you know, sometimes I've asked, so are you opposed to structure in the workplace with clearly defined uh, lines of who is responsible for what? Oh, no, not at all. It's the attitude. I'm like, ah, I get that. Has anybody ever seen that? Four, five, six, seven. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a fun place to work when you have that. See? So, but, but, but the difference simply being when Christ is at the centerpiece of our lives, we can assume roles of responsibility that in fact may uh, make us have a measure of responsibility over a group of people or a division or whatever, okay, without people feeling manipulated. See? There's a difference, a big, big difference. But we wrestle with these things as human beings. We, we actually do. So since God became human in Christ, we can, we can be Christ-like. I can be fully Christ-like. It's already within us. His nature, his attributes, you've embraced him. We've all invited him to be Lord, the centerpiece of our lives. And that's why the Apostle Paul in his writings to Ephesians, to the Colossians, and to the Corinthians, he would say, put off that other stuff, that nonsense way of thinking. Your thinking is wrong. You're thinking in a power, control, manipulation, and that's why you've got dissensions and strife. And he says, put that off. That's not like you. You have this divine connection with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have love and life in the very core and the essence of who you are. Remember that. And I would say that's the best way that we can put off the ugly of our lives. The ugly of our lives isn't what, who we are at the core. What it really is, it's just other silly nonsense of thought and thinking that maybe we have always had. And Paul says, hey, Formerly, before you encountered Christ and experienced his salvation, this is how you acted. But remember, that's not who you are. So just saying no won't solve the problem. I remember here in this city, late 80s, we had a, we had a, um, a vehicle that was around town. I'm not sure who, who funded it. That's beside the point. And it was concerning drugs. It's just said, just say no. How many of you know that solved the drug problem in America? <laughs> just say no. <laughs> so if you look in yourself in the mirror and you see some certain things about you and Holy Spirit is kind of talking to you about it, remember what you focus on is what will actually enlarge. So if you look at some of the ugly of your lives and something that maybe something else po po pointed out, and you go, yeah, man, I guess I'm a real loser. Uh, you, won't, you, 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 you can't walk in the fullness of who you actually really are at the very core in and through Christ Jesus as God has made you to be. So you want to focus and say, I am love. I've, I've, I'm filled with love, the love of God. That's who I really am. So Lord, let the love be released from me. That's, that's a part how we renew our minds and the image of our own selves. That, that, it, that is the reality of who we are with God 
through Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit. John 14, <clears throat> let's wrap this up here a couple of minutes. John 14, 19 to 21, after a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live, you shall also live. And in that day, you shall know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. This is really an interesting scripture because Jesus is telling the disciples and he's reminding them of their relational connection. This is before the cross. This is before he died for the sins of the world. He was resurrected. And he's saying, after the Holy Spirit, that's the context of it because he was just talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will illuminate your minds as to the reality that actually already has been. This relational reality. Just as the Father and I are one, you already have this divine connection with me. Understand, they weren't saved. This wasn't post-cross. Christ had not died for the sins of the world. He hadn't even resurrected yet. So what is the point? Jesus is trying to help the disciples gain and retain a focus on who they are relationally with God through Christ. We're one. Can you imagine if you wake up every morning, you go to the mirror, and you go, wow, I'm one with God through Christ. Oh, I carry his nature. I carry his attributes. You say, well, that kind of feels weird. Well, yeah, because if your thinking is about your flaws, and if your thinking uh, is along the line of past failures, it feels and sounds weird to you. How many of you know what is more true? Is that not the reality of truth? I'm so much like God because of Jesus Christ. I've got his divine nature in me. I'm filled with love. Renewing the mind is the only way to transformation. Can't be transformed without the renewing of the mind. You have that little slide of the butterfly? I know he's going to show it later. We used this last week. Isn't that cool? You start with, a, well, somewhere you start with a larva, and then it kind of changes. And Oh, yeah, yeah, you got the caterpillar. See all the different stages of the butterfly? Now, it doesn't automatically happen. There's a metamorphosis that takes place. There's going to be transformation. So when the scripture says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorph, uh, metamorphy, okay, it's that aspect is actually talking about process. It's only process of not so much becoming, because internally, Christ within us, that's the reality of who we are, but it's a process of discovering what of the attributes and life of Christ that it already is a reality. And so there is a process sometimes for us to discover. We're still in process because let me ask you this. Do you fully know, know all about God that there is that you expect to know in your lifetime today? I certainly don't. I don't know of anyone. That's why the apostle Paul said, pray that there would be the opening of the eyes of our heart. So we're in process of discovering of the life and the love of Christ that is within. But back to Jesus. <clears throat> We've got to wrap up on this note. Jesus, I want to show you his pathway. 
in becoming human. He chose a nonviolent pathway into in his entry while living among humanity. Next, Jesus showed a unique way of critiquing self-serving culture without accusation and condemnation. I think that's on the screen back there. Um, maybe not. Jesus showed us how to be in union with the suffering of the world all at the same time. Okay? Jesus was universal in his love and healing for all. Jesus modeled forgiveness and healing. Jesus lived outside the thinking of the religious establishment. And as we read scripture, we notice that Jesus spent much of his time with the marginalized and the people at the bottom of society's hierarchies. The, the mind, the heart that has not been experienced the redemption and salvation of the Lord is always looking at who's at the bottom of society and who's at the top and longing to, to be known as one who is at least climbing the ladder of success and nobility. The difference being is, guess what? Everybody's already been raised to the top in Christ. <laughs> That's an eternal reality, spiritually speaking. But as long as we have the kingdoms of this world, we'll all have every society, every culture has a certain kind of its own caste system. So you'll always see that. But we must not succumb to that in how we view ourselves or how we view other people. Jesus consistently stands with the excluded, the outsider, the sinner, the poor, with radical grace and mercy. And his primary social ministry and his um, main form of justice work is solidarity, solidarity with suffering humanity. And I've noticed this about Jesus. He will stand with the demonized until the human suffering at the grip of demons or the humans who are suffering at the grip of demons are experiencing freedom. That's the love and life of Christ. It's the message of the cross. So what he simply calls us to be is self-emptying. Jesus stood in solidarity with the problem itself and almost never gave specific answers for people's problems as he was the love that they needed to experience. You know what he's called us to be? just be love. Say, well, how can I be love? Because of the union you have and I have with the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, we can literally be Christ. We can be love. And sometimes what we really need is to simply stand with one another as we all have experienced and many people experience different kinds of suffering and shame. The self-righteous, which any one of us can be, I have been. Maybe today I am and I'm just blind to it. But I certainly know I've had many, many moments. You can stand afar and point out the errors and sins of, one, of other people and then try to preach to them what we think they need to hear. How many of you know, and if you've ever been one who has had that focus on you, it only brings further shame upon the loss and the suffering one is already experiencing. It doesn't bring redemption. Too much of the time, Christianity 
and Christ has been presented in that fashion. And it's a pity when it happens because it only highlights the sin and the shame and it does not lead people to freedom. People wind up ultimately feeling manipulated and guess what they say? I don't want that kind of a God and I go yay for them. But then they're called a rebel. They walked away from God. No, they just walked away from that branding of God. Christ's solidarity and compassion with those suffering in sin, sickness, and shame was healing itself. Often with few words, it was Christ's strategy and therefore it is ours. Yeah. Sometimes you look at the life of Christ, it could have the perception of weakness. But love always wins. Love always wins. As we come to the communion table, I'm feeling like, Lord, help us to focus on the reality of this love union we have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are here today without condemnation from him without needing to carry any shame. He's always standing with us in our weakness, our sin. He stands with us in our suffering. And we have Christ's heart, and we are privileged to be able to stand in solidarity with those around us who are suffering from sin and from the evil of this world. Today, as we come to the table, my prayer is that we can experience the life of Christ. And let's stand together. May we experience his life, his forgiveness, his amazing grace today. And for some of us, maybe in the room today, you may find yourself spiritually like I know there must be more. Turn towards God. No one can do it for you. He's already done everything for you, but he invites you to come and participate in his salvation. Turn towards him. Say, how do I do that? Just simply say, God, I want you to be the center of my life. I believe in you, Christ Jesus. I want you to be Lord of my life. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. That movement towards him in response towards his invitation into the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing.